Father, thank you so much for Kewen. Thank you for uh, the way that he lives out uh, truth in his life and Christ-likeness in his life. And I pray that he would be able to speak to us tonight, that it would be open to you, Holy Spirit, um, that he would use your words and that you would speak into our hearts, that we would be changed forever, that we wouldn't just be changed a little or for some time, but the Father, you would really make us into new creations as we're on this journey to become like you. So we pray that Kewen would aid, aid your work, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Um, I was watching this eldership video, and I noticed that as Pastor Liu was laying hands on all the different heads, that there were many bald heads. And I feel encouraged that our church is being led by very wise elders, um, and so maybe it's something we can aspire towards. It's part of our bigger Hatfield family. It's wonderful to be with you this evening. We, we're in a journey through Ephesians, and as a church, we're talking about the disciples' quest this entire year, really exploring this idea of being a disciple with Jesus. And I trust that for most of you, you are here tonight because you are, in fact, a disciple of Jesus. And it's a little bit funny how this works in our life. If I think about my own relationship with the Lord, sometimes I almost feel tricked into getting into a relationship with the Lord. In, a, in, in that when I signed up for it, I didn't really know what I was signing up for. And somehow God was quite okay with that. When I said yes to Jesus, he knew that I didn't know, yet he still said, follow me. So young, dumb me did not know what I was signing up for. And I said, yes, I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, and I've been following him. And every now and then I realize something about being a disciple of Jesus, and I go, I wonder if I knew this now, if I would have started this journey in the first place. I wonder if you've had some... Uh, questions like that in your journey with the Lord. And I sometimes think the Lord doesn't allow us to see some parts of our journey because we're not ready to see it yet. And there's a relational aspect to that. There's a, there's a trust aspect to that. But, but I remember when I first said yes to following Jesus, I said, yes, I want to be his disciple. One of the things I didn't realize I was signing up for in particular was, well, it's a little bit like marriage. For those of you that got married here, you know, you, you fell in love with someone and you said yes to them. And then you met their family. And so, you know, when I, when I said yes to Jesus, I, I fell in love with him. I said, I want to follow that guy. I want to be with them. They're a great individual. They're quite perfect. I can do that. But he didn't tell me that I was going to also have to marry into the family. And uh, following Jesus is one thing, but, but we know that it comes with some strings attached in that when you become a disciple of Jesus, one of the pictures is, is actually almost like we're entering into a marriage covenant with Jesus. And for the ladies, that's fine. For the guys, that's, dif that's difficult, isn't it? To think of getting married to Jesus. But then in other points of the scripture, it says that we are born again and we become sons of God. And so that's perhaps difficult for the ladies. So it's a, it's a nice balance. But... Uh, here we are in this relationship with Jesus where the two of the pictures is we're either born into a new family or we enter into, this, into a marriage. And if I think about my own marriage, when I married my wife, I didn't just marry her, I married her family. And so I became a part of a family. And when we start becoming a disciple of Jesus or when we enter into this relationship with him, it's not just him, it's his family. Part of why we're here together this evening, is, it's not enough to just be a disciple of Jesus alone. He wants us to be together as a family. In Ephesians, they talk about, uh, some of the verses are about how to do life together as a family. And so I want to explore something, something of that. But about two weeks ago, if you remember, Stuart Bell was here, and he was talking about the different pictures of church. And he put up about six different pictures of church. If you were here, you'd remember that. 
and uh, there's, say, a picture of a temple or a picture of an army or um, one of the pictures was, of course, family. And traditionally, when you think of the church as a family, you think it's that part of the church where, you know, we hug each other and we enjoy each other and we share each other's things. But then if you think about it a little bit deeper, why on earth would we have that picture of family? Because I don't know about you, now I come from a great family, but family is a bit messy, isn't it? There's an old uh, cliched saying, it's a cliché, and a cliche is a cliche because it's said so many times, but it doesn't stop it from being true. And it's that you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family. And there is some truth in that, in that you are born into a family or you don't really have much choice about your family. And one of the biggest differences between friends and family is that friends you choose and in many cases are temporary. When things get difficult, you have a way out or you can at least say, well, I chose this. I chose them. It's easier to deal with the difficulties. But family, you didn't really choose, and there's no way out. You have to see them at the, ne the next Christmas, at least, or the next funeral. So in a sense, when you, are, you, know, when you marry into a family, that is what you've got. For, for, for richer or poorer, better or worse, that is now your family. And one of the challenges with relational difficulties in a family is that there really is no way out. They are family for life. So the first good news is that you have a family. Part of the church, as, you are, as a disciple of Jesus, you have entered into a family. You married into a wonderfully big, diverse, uh, beautiful-looking family. But you know behind the surface, with every family, there's also some difficulties. It's not just hugging and enjoyment. There's actually some difficulties. And one of the challenges now is because Jesus said you are entering into my family, you've, it's kind of too late now. You can't escape. You've chosen this family, and it's kind of for life. Not this church necessarily, but this family, the family of Jesus. And so, if I think about every single family, now, as I say, I have a very good family, but uh, many people from the outside would think that it's perfect. You look at the relationship between brothers and sisters, moms and dad, and, and, and all you see is something that looks perfect. But if you were to peel back the layer, you would see some difficulties, maybe not even major difficulties, but of course, some difficulties, some complications, okay? And the reason why they're there is because you've got people that are, have very different personalities that are kind of stuck together. In a sense, they're forced to do life together. And once you do this for a while, and you run into some troubles, perhaps, or there's a personality clash, you begin to have history, and every now and then, you might hit the place in a relationship with a family member where you realize we've hit a bit of a wall. We can't really go forward. And this sort of wall, perhaps if you were friends, at this point, you would just part ways or maybe spend a little bit less time with them. But, but if it's family, it's now complicated. Because you've hit a wall, and you know that you can't get out. You have to find a way through. Because if you ignore this problem, if you ignore this complication, you're going to have to deal with it at some point. Because friends are for now, but family is for life, isn't it? And so that's what makes family relationship a little bit tricky. And if we talk about the church and one of the pictures of the church being family, when I, when I think of it, and keep in mind I've got a great family, but if I think deeply about the family picture, it's one of the more difficult pictures. It's not one of the easier ones, because family is for life. And when we peel back the 
the seeming perfection, we see that every relation has a complication. Every relation has a complication between you and your parents, between your brother and your sister, and even the wider community. At some point, your personalities are going to come together, your backgrounds, your experiences, and you're going to get hit a wall. And we call that a relational complication. And more so now in the church, because at least with your biological family, you, grew, you maybe speak the same language or you um, had some shared experiences. Now in the church, we come together and we, we buy into this idea of following Jesus. We become his disciple. And now we become a part of this family. But in many cases, we become a part of a family that is polar opposites, a family that comes from very different backgrounds. Very, they look very different. They speak a different language. Um, you know, most, mem- most families uh, at least have the same income. So you've got like a rich family perhaps or a poor family. In the church, we have a challenge because we have rich and poor coming together. So this relational complication is, is highlighted even more in the church. Yet God chooses to use this metaphor for church. One of the metaphors, he says, it's, it's family. And it's complicated. Now, if I think about relational complications, the Bible is full of them. The Bible is full of stories where people who were trying to serve God or follow God together ran into complications in their relationships. And if I was to talk about two broad strokes, two different, very different types of relational complications, you could say in the Bible there are destructive relationship complications and there are difficult complications. Destructive and difficult. Two very different types of relational difficulties. Now, I want to focus this evening on difficult complications in our relationships. But let me start by just explaining what a destructive complication is. Sometimes in our human relationships, because we mess up or we do some terrible things, a relationship can become destructive or toxic. This is a very high-level thing. It's, It's Like what happens when a marriage breaks down, where perhaps one spouse cheats on another. Or perhaps when abuse is involved in a relationship, or one of the people in the relationship is in danger. The Bible is full of relationships where this happens. And in general, par one or two examples, in general the principle or the way that God deals with someone who's in a destructive relationship is he takes them out. The solution is very often that God will take them out of the relationship or tell them to leave the relationship. If I think about a relationship where there's sexual immorality, you're told to flee the relationship. It's destructive. It's toxic. It's time to get out. Or there are times where, um, uh, where you are in uh, bad company. The proverb says that bad company corrupts good character. And so it could be a destructive relationship, and the Bible's advice is to get out of that relationship. It's not good for you, it's damaging you. That would be a destructive relationship. Of course, there's times where someone's life is in danger, they're experiencing abuse. At that point, get out. But I want to put that to the side for this evening. That's a whole nother sermon. And this evening, I want to talk about this other area, which is difficult relationships. Everything that's not a destructive relationship falls into the area of a difficult relationship. Because relationship is difficult. And difficult is a whole nother kettle of fish, isn't it? Difficult is what we all experience with one another. And the thing is, we, we, we love to take our difficulties and say that they are destructive. 
because that means that we can have an out. But as disciples of Jesus, the advice, or many of the followers of God, the advice when they were in a difficult situation or a difficult relationship is that God often tells them that the solution is to go through it. There's a contrast there. Destructive relationships, often we need a way out. Difficult relationships, we need to find a way through. Now, I wish some of the difficulties in my relationships, I could just get out. But there's a problem, is that I bought into this whole Jesus idea. I decided to follow him, to be his disciple, and I didn't know it at the time, but now I've got a family, and the family is for life, okay? And I, and I must say, I confess, I came from a great family where we, oh, we had some difficult complications, but it was probably as good as it gets. And it probably would have been easier on the family-wise not to become a Christian. And then I, I became a part of this bigger family, and I realized that, man, this family is messed up, the broader family. There are some complications here, and I want out. But the problem is, God says, we can't get out. We need to find a way through. If it's not destructive, if it's just difficult, we need to find a way through. And so tonight I'm talking about difficult relationships, every relation has a complication. And I wonder if you're in a relationship tonight that is difficult, that is complicated. These are not the destructive things, these are the difficult things. Are you perhaps in a place where you feel betrayed, that you have a, a friendship that has gone wrong? I'm not talking about someone that continuously betrays you, but someone that has broken your trust, that has said something behind your back. Maybe you entrusted something to them and they... Uh, used it against you, or perhaps didn't treat it well. You know, sometimes we share things with friends that are very important to us, and uh, they don't treat it right. They, they make a coarse joke about it. They trample on it, and, and that hurts us, and we get stuck. Are you perhaps in a friendship where you've experienced betrayal? Or are you perhaps in a difficult relationship where someone has intentionally hurt you? They could be a Christian or not a Christian, but they've done something that requires you to forgive them. And so you, you're stuck. You can't move forward without forgiving them. Or if I think about, maybe if we bring it down to more particular context, maybe you are in a place where you've seen one of your friend's Facebook posts. You know, maybe they posted about something political. There's a lot of political things going on, isn't there? Facebook and uh, social media seems to be one of the places people express their political opinions. And uh, maybe you saw one of your brothers or sisters in Christ express something that hurt. You didn't like it. They said something that was personal. It has personally affected you. It's wounded you deeply. This is a very difficult situation because you now need to sit with them in church, but they've hurt you. They've expressed something. Or perhaps there's some here that have had a, a huge cultural misunderstanding. You know, we in South Africa, lots of different cultures together. Maybe at your work, someone has done something that offends you culturally. Are you perhaps in a space where someone has done something and has hurt you deeply in a relationship, and it's been a cultural misunderstanding? They have treated you in a way that is disrespectful in your culture. There are many different situations that we face. And of course, there could even be here in the context of church, perhaps you've experienced something that has offended you religiously. You know, in the beginning of this worship service, it was wonderful to see how we as a family worship differently. Some people run to the front and dance around, you know, my wife, one of them. 
And I, I don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to, I'm a bit more conservative in the way that I worship. We both love Jesus equally, but the way that we express it is quite different. I remember once we were visiting a church. Uh, I hope I can share this, this, this story well. Oh, now it's too late. I'm going to share it. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> and it was with people that were much more expressive in their love for Jesus. And I, I express my love for Jesus, but I generally am not much of a dancer, and it's part of my worship to Jesus because it's blasphemous when I dance. Uh, so <laughs> and uh, they came from a particular religious background where to worship Jesus means to dance, means to raise your hands, and if you're not doing it, something's wrong with you. And they called my wife aside, and they asked, you know, you're, you're, at that stage we were dating, you know, does your boyfriend really love Jesus? I see he's just standing there, you know, in worship. A religious misunderstanding, a very particular way of worshiping. Now, we both love Jesus. We come to it differently. Is there perhaps, have you perhaps gotten stuck in a relationship with someone where there's a, where there's a religious difference, where they're doing something in their relationship with the Lord that you disagree with? I'm not talking about a moral thing, but a, a preference Something in the preference. Are you perhaps in disagreement about the interpretation of a scripture? Or something like that. Something, these things, they come into our heart and they become a relational complication. And maybe you're sitting here tonight and the Holy Spirit is surfacing that between you and another brother or sister in Christ, there is a relational complication. Perhaps you're here tonight and you've hit a brick wall and it feels like you need to get out. And maybe the Lord is saying he wants to make a way through. Because the challenge is, is if they're family, you can't get out. Family is for life. We need to find a way through. Now, this would be a bit of a hopeless situation if we were just stuck like this. But the good news is that we're not the first people to have followed Jesus. For, for 2,000 years, and even before that, there were people following God, disciples of the Lord. And the church is about 2,000 years old, and there's been many, many disciples of Jesus. And as I've studied the Scripture and looked into it, I am encouraged in one way, is that what we are facing today in the church, in our relationships with one another, even to go as far as to say some of the difficulties that we face as a South African church together, is not the first time that the church in history has faced this trouble. And you've had different expressions of church through history, but the early church in particular was actually quite diverse in that there were many different cultural backgrounds, religious backgrounds, and of course, political backgrounds. People that had strong views that decided to become followers of Jesus and now found themselves as family. But as far apart as family could be, probably facing one of, some of the most difficult relational complications. And so as we look to the scriptures and as we look at the early church, and the book of Ephesians in particular was talking to a church that was facing some relational difficulties. Paul, who was trying to help with these problems, he had a very particular approach to this. Now, Paul, when he looked at the believers that had come together, he saw their backgrounds and he saw their diversity. Paul didn't... Uh, say that you are all exactly the same. He recognized that there was a difference between a Jew and a Gentile. There was a difference between a man and a woman. But he also recognized that in Jesus, we are able to overcome these differences for a purpose. Paul had a vision. He had a picture of what the family of Jesus could be. 
And there's something about this unity in diversity that he wanted to create. He recognized there was a problem. And to understand the early church, we sometimes romanticize it. We think they were perfect. But it takes a very shallow reading of the New Testament letters to realize that the church, the early church in particular, was not perfect. They had problems. Most of the reason why Paul wrote his letters to them was because they had major problems. If I was to list a couple of them, they would, they would sound ridiculous. They would sound crazy to us in our culture. But underlying it, deep down inside, there were complications in the relationships. And many of those complications had come because people who spoke different languages, had different backgrounds, had different political views, were now suddenly forced to be family. So Paul tries to deal with it. Now, if we put up Galatians 3 verse 28, we see something of Paul's mind. Now, if I think about some of the difficulties we face today in the South African church, things that we might think are destructive, reasons to get out of a relationship. We might categorize them as this is too harmful, this is too damaging, and so I'm completely justified to get out of this relationship, to not try and relate to a brother and sister in Christ because they are going to hurt me, okay? In Paul's view, if you read Galatians 3 verse 28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we get a step into Paul's mind. So Paul looks at the church who has some bigger problems than we have, say, in the South African church, and he categorizes it. I would have thought that Paul would have said that at least the political issue would be enough to break relationship. You know, some of these guys think that we can kill in the name of our political convictions. Some of the, some of the people in the church, some other people thought that it's important that the Jews um, pick up arms and start fighting the government. Other people thought, you know, we shouldn't be involved in politics at all. This is a big reason to break Union. It's a big reason to maybe split a church. It's a good enough reason to stop relating with this person who has this evil idea, this evil philosophy. I would have thought that, except Paul didn't think it. Paul in this scripture gives us some categories, and you can call them categories that are difficult but not destructive. These are things that are difficult but not destructive. Neither Jew nor Gentile. Racial and cultural differences are not destructive, but they are difficult. They are differences that we face that are very difficult, but not enough to break relationship, according to Paul. Neither slave nor free. There's an economic and political aspect to that. Political differences between us as a church, together as Christians, are difficult, but they're not destructive. They are not a good enough reason to break relationship with another brother or sister in Christ. Man, Paul is being very difficult. I would have thought at least one of these is a good enough reason because isn't this some of the reasons why people break relationship in the church? Nor is there male and female. Differences between genders is not, it's not a good enough reason. It's not destructive. It's, it's difficult for you're all one in Christ Jesus. So we think of these categories, we go, if you are having a relational difference, a difficulty, if you're having a challenge relationally in a cultural or a political or a religious area, the Jews and Gentiles were religious, 
you are indeed having a difficult challenge, but this is not destructive. Which means that Paul expects that we would somehow find a way to go through it. He's, he, he, he takes it out of the category of, I'm out. And this is a huge challenge for us as a church because how do we do this? How do we do family together as a church? How do we obey Paul's command? Paul, he was speaking to a very, very difficult situation, yet he still expects us to find a way through it. How are we going to find a way to overcome our differences? If you think of the picture, I want you to think that perhaps you in a relationship with someone else in the body of Christ, and you've hit a brick wall. They have done something, or you have done something, and it doesn't feel like you can go forward. And perhaps you're thinking, I want out. And I want you to ask yourself, is this a destructive relationship, or is this just a difficult relationship? So, maybe to highlight some of the challenges, if we go a little bit deeper, so you can get into Paul's head, it kind of removes our excuse, excuse, uh, excuse box somewhat to understand what was going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. These were two very different people groups. They were separated racially. They were also separated religiously and culturally. They came from opposite sides of the spectrum, and they had a particular attitude to one another. The Gentiles, who were all the non-Jewish people, felt rejected by the Jewish people. They carried rejection in their heart, and when they thought about the Jewish people, there was an anger that came up. And rightly so, they had every right to be angry because the Jews who were meant to be a blessing to the Gentiles had rejected them. The early Jewish Christians made it particularly difficult for the Gentiles to come into the church in fact, they had some religious preferences. They wanted to add on some extra things to go as far as some of them were even trying to have the new Christian circumcised. I wonder if you were trying to join this church and we said you have to get circumcised if you would join. Probably not. But the early, the, the early believers, they were so desperate to be a part of God's family that some of them were even doing that. The Jews were intentionally making it difficult. And then when you were in the church, you were a second-class citizen. The leaders were the Jewish believers and the, and the Gentiles. They felt rejected by the Jews. And so if you were to talk to a Gentile in the early church, they had every reason and every right to be angry. They would have probably thought that this rejection and hurt I'm experiencing is a reason to get out. It's a justification to not have relationship with a Jewish believer. You think that's possible? That's definitely what the Gentiles were thinking. The Gentiles, in fact, wanted to go off and start their own church to free themselves of the Jewish believers. Yes, they were one in Christ, but it would just be easier to do it separately. And Paul challenges that sort of thinking. Seems very appealing. But on the reverse to understand, the Jews also had a particular feeling. The Jews were raised in such a way that the cultural practices of the Gentile was disgusting to the Jews. The Jews would look at some of the things the Gentiles would do, and they thought it was dirty. They thought it was sinful. It was wrongful. It was wrong. And so for many of the Jewish believers, they looked down on the Gentiles, and they had this emotional, this feeling of disgust. And part of their actions towards the Gentiles was to, was to actually try and separate them. They wanted to stay by themselves. They wanted to stay clean. They wanted to stay pure. They had a particular religious thinking. Remember, these are all Christians. These are all disciples of Jesus. People that claim to love Jesus and follow Jesus. Paul is dealing with 
quite a mess, don't you think? So on the one hand, you've got these Gentiles that feel rejected, and on the other hand, you've got these Jews that feel disgusted. What are you going to do? And the Jews were on the, on the border of wanting to get out. They thought that this is going to be destructive. These guys are going to mess with our, our purity here. They're going to mess up our churches. So uh, let's get out of the relationship. They thought it was destructive, but it was actually just difficult. And Paul doesn't shy away from the difficulty. And if you've got a Bible, if you could turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and I want to just highlight two verses from Ephesians chapter 5. If we look at this context and you think about what Paul is trying to do, and now that you're in the mind of Paul and, and, and in this place of the early church, Paul encourages them in this way. Now we know by now the first three chapters of Ephesians is all about our place in Christ, our positioning in Christ, who we are in Him. And from chapter 4, and now we're in chapter 5, Paul is saying that, you know, in light of who we are in Christ, this is, who we are to, this is how we are to behave. If we truly are one in Christ, if we truly are disciples of Jesus, then when we find a relational difficulty, this is what he says. He says we need to follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. This is my sermon title, is Walk in the Way of Love. We want to follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us. So as Paul says, we want to walk in the way of love. He's giving a very specific commandment to a church that has a relational complication. He says the answer to this problem is to imitate God or to follow your God, your heavenly Father, because you are His children and you are to walk in the way of love. And then Paul doesn't leave it there. He explains exactly what he means by walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And this is where Paul's words get quite difficult because he says this is a real difficulty. This is a real relational complication and what God would have you do to go through. Remember, you can't get out. Family is for life. What God is saying to go through, you need to walk in the way of love. And Paul doesn't leave it there. You can't, it's not, you know, let me give him a hug here. Let me just wave at him. Let me smile. Let me pretend like we're not different. He clarifies. He says, walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. What he is, of course, talking about is sacrificial love. Paul sees this huge challenge, and he says the only way that you can truly overcome as a disciple of Jesus is if you are willing to walk in the way of love, walk in the way of sacrificial love. In a sense, do exactly what Jesus would do in the situation. And so Paul's answer to a relational difficulty is sacrificial love. Part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus in the family of God is a willingness to behave the same way God himself would behave in that situation. Now, these difficult relational problems, at the heart of it all, people have a right to be offended. If someone has truly hurt you, if there's been a cultural misunderstanding or there's been a huge disagreement in many cases... When you look a bit deeper, it's not superficial. There's a real reason to be hurt, and there's a real reason to be upset. 
in some cases, there's a real reason to get out. And we call that a right. And so if we think also about our relationship with God, one of the reasons Jesus had to, ca- had to come was that there was a real breakdown in our relationship. We did something, we sinned, and that was a real problem. God had every right to be upset. Okay? God, there was a relational breakdown, a complication between our relationship and God, and in a sense, it hit a wall. Yet, if we're to imitate God and we're to look at what God did, when He hit the wall, the very same wall that we sometimes hit, He decided to do something. He decided to practice sacrificial love. And what that means is God gave up His right to be upset. He gave up His right to be right. It took someone, and in this case, the very person who wasn't in the wrong at all, to make a sacrifice. And the sacrifice was to give up a right. God didn't have to come down. He didn't have to fix the relationship. In fact, if we look at it logically, He shouldn't have. If God was to be fair in this situation, if He was to stand on His right, we would still be separated from Him. Yet He does something. The ultimate act of sacrificial love, he gives up his right and he comes down and he dies for us. He takes the step to bridge this relational difficulty, which in our case was sin. He pays the price because there's a higher purpose. He sees that the best for us would be relationship with him. And so he's motivated by love. This is the sacrificial love. He's motivated by this higher purpose. It makes him willing to give up his right. This is the type of love Paul is talking about. And he says, if you take that type of love and you apply it in your relationships with one another, then we're going to begin to see breakthrough. I believe we're going to see some breakthrough in relationships tonight as we apply the principle of sacrificial love. I see that there are many that have hit a a brick wall and you're looking for an answer. Firstly, you want to know that the answer is not get out. The answer is go through. How do you go through, according to Paul, sacrificial love? There's going to need to be a willingness to give up your right. So Paul's answer is to imitate Christ. And so here we sit as a church. 2,000 years later, we're trying to be disciples of Jesus to figure out how to do family. We know that every relation has a complication. What that means is from now until Jesus comes back, family together is going to be difficult. But we're stuck until Jesus comes back. We're stuck together. There is no other family. It's us. <laughs> we're in it. Okay. So we're going to have to figure it out together. And if you, like me, love Jesus, you love him enough to, to hold on, to figure out a way to overcome or to come through. We also know that there's a difference now between difficult and destructive. Tonight I'm talking about when you're in a difficult situation. If you are in a difficult situation between your brother or sister in Christ tonight, this message is for you to practice sacrificial love. And so I believe that there's some here that they have a relationship that God wants them to have a breakthrough in. But it's going to require a sacrifice. And this is where the word gets difficult. How willing are you or how serious are you about family? How serious are you about Jesus, about being his disciple? You know, there's a lie out there that says that you can follow Jesus and not be part of his family. 
I've heard many people say, I love Jesus, but I don't, I don't like his family. How do you think Jesus feels about that? I've always thought, you know, if someone said, I like you, but I don't like your wife, then I don't like you. you know, so, <laughs> it's a challenge. Family is difficult. It's not what I signed up for, but the lie out there is to think that you can be part of Jesus and not part of his family. The two go hand in hand. Is the family, dif- Jesus is not difficult, but the family is difficult. But if we want Jesus, we need the family. He's not going to elope with you. <laughs> it's, uh, you. I've begged him many times. <laughs> Let's just us go off together. It will solve all the problems. No, he loves his family because he loves you. and You're part of his family. And so that leaves us as disciples of Jesus. If we're truly going to do this disciples quest, and if our belief is going to be matched by our action, it means that we're going to have to be willing to make a very difficult decision. And that is a decision to make a sacrifice in our relationship. If we are going to do this way of love, it means that at some point we're going to have to make a decision that between one another, we are willing to give up our rights. Give up our right to be angry, offended, upset, and you've got every right to be. If someone has hurt you, you've got every right to be angry. Some of the political views, I want to tell you, I've got a story with a friend who's also a follower of Jesus. We both love Jesus very much. We've got a very different background and very different political views. Now, we both like to discuss this and engage, but, but when we, we started our relationship, when we got to know each other a little bit better, we used to hurt each other a lot. Because his views, he holds some political views that hurt me personally. And then I realized that I also hold some views that hurt him personal. And it gets personal, very personal. Yet our shared love for Jesus has allowed us to overcome. I remember a time in our relationship where I had to make a decision. Was I willing to give up my right to be hurt, my right to be offended, for the sake of us having relationship? One of the greatest decisions I ever made. We still disagree passionately. We will never have the same political views, but we will have communion together in Christ. We will be together. You know, God doesn't want us to get rid of our differences, but he does want us to be one in Christ. And so you could have a difficulty, and, and you might be praying to get out of it. You might be praying for the solution. Is it not possible that the solution is here in the word tonight that God is actually asking you to sacrifice? You have every right to be upset and to hold on to that right. Yet, if you walk in the way of love and give up your right, then you can have breakthrough. And so we're going to enter into just a time of prayer, and I'm going to pray for a couple of different things. I'm not going to ask anyone to stand, but I believe the Lord wants to apply it in a couple of areas tonight, and then we'll be done. If we're going to walk in the way of love, I want to ask you, is there a relationship in your life that you need to walk in the way of love. This is not a destructive relationship. This is a very difficult relationship. Is God asking you to sacrifice in that relationship? I feel that there are some here that have gotten really hurt with cultural and racial misunderstandings on all sides. Where someone has done something which is very offensive to your culture and in some cases has been outright racist. It's not okay. It's not right. You have every right to be angry, but I believe the Lord is asking you to to sacrifice your right in that relationship for the sake of relationship, to sacrifice. If you're hurting that area, I believe that this word is for you tonight. 
I also want to talk about the political area. I think there's some that you've seen something. You haven't even talked to the person. You've seen something that they've said on a political issue. Hot topics at this stage, particularly on social media. I know who I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to tonight. You've seen something, and they've said something. You haven't even talked to them about it, but you are hurt. They have said something that directly affects you. I believe God is asking you to practice sacrificial love. Will you give up your right to be upset so you can have relationship with that person? And the last area I want to talk about is the religious area. Have you gotten hurt religiously? Has someone in this church done something that has offended your religious sensibilities? You know, we get different types of people. Some are a little bit looser. They're a little bit freer, and some are a little bit more uptight and staunch. They take themselves very seriously, and these guys don't take anything seriously at all. Has someone said something that you think is sacrilegious, offensive, blasphemous, and you feel like you can't, I don't associate with that type of Christian? There's other Jews and the Gentiles, but I feel like there's some here that you need to give up a religious right tonight. You do be sacrificed so that you can have relationship. All over, if there's anything else, and, and, and if you can bow your heads, we're going to pray. I believe the Lord is going to be specific. If there is a person that this applies to that you need to make a sacrifice in the relationship so that you can have communion with them, I want you to make a decision now to sacrifice. Lord, all over for those, I know that you're speaking to some people and I know that you are specific. This is not something that's general. You want breakthrough in our relationships in this community. You don't want to let the religious, cultural, political climate break down what you are doing between us. Lord, if you want us to make a sacrifice in a relationship, we choose to obey you now in Jesus' name. In your heart, if you see that person, just say, I choose to sacrifice for this person. You can say in your heart or under your breath, I choose to sacrifice for my boss. I choose to sacrifice for my friend. I choose to sacrifice for my enemy. Make sure it's very clear this is a commitment between you and the Lord. Lord, for all those making the commitment, I pray for breakthrough now in their relationships, that as they take a step this week to give in in that relationship, that you will bulldoze the wall that they have hit, that you will help them to overcome so that they can have the relationship you want them to have. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. As we, as we finish off, just imagine for a moment if we took Paul's words seriously. You know, we are one of the most diverse communities in the world, and it comes with a lot of difficulties, but it also comes with a lot of blessings. What we're not talking about is riding over those differences at all, but we are looking at the vision that Paul had, that he saw that, that in light of who we are in Christ, that's the first three chapters of Ephesians, in light of the fact that we are now born again into a family, in light of who we are by the gift of God's grace, let us now live in a manner that is worthy of our place. This is now the time where we can truly put Christ's words into actions. To be his disciple means that we can make a sacrifice and have relationship, have communion in spite of it. Imagine a community that was able to overcome cultural, political, and religious differences. Do you not think that would be a light unto the world. 
You know, we many times pray for light in the darkness that we experience around us. We too can be the answer to that light if we're willing to walk in the way of love. Bless you. Have a good week, and we will see you next week. Reminder that Connect is out there. Uh, Have a good time connecting.